in my first job as a computer programmer, after getting an undergraduate degree in math, I worked in a sub-basement with a low ceiling, with pipes running overhead, and zero soundproofing. I heard the elevator rumble, feet clomping up and down the stairs, toilets flushing, the air conditioner whooshing, and people walking on the basement floor above me. There were, of course, no windows. The big plus was that my boss virtually never came down there. I shared the space with a dozen other programmers. Each of us had a cubicle that was about chest high, provided no privacy, and regularly collapsed when we tried to move them. Eventually, we tore them down and piled them all up in a corner. This was in San Francisco. Since it was too expensive for me to rent there, I lived on the South Peninsula in a city down by the ocean called Pacifica, where, by the way, my car totally rusted out. It was too expensive to park in San Francisco, so I drove my car to the subway, which was called BART. I parked in Daly City near Pacifica. Then I took BART into the city. Then I took a cable car for several blocks. And then I walked the rest of the way. I could get to work in about an hour and a quarter. Except for the day when the subway broke down under the bay, it was two hours before it started up again. My biggest memory of my job was how lonely it was. There was very little time for any of us programmers to talk to each other. It was a high-pressure job. We had a lot of code that we had to write every day. We were near each other all day long, but we actually worked in isolation. However, I have to say I did enjoy building software. It could take months to put a program together, and when it finally ran correctly, there was a powerful sense of accomplishment. But eventually, this first job out of college convinced me that I couldn't live the life of a programmer. I wanted to spend more time with people. So I did quit, and I went to graduate school. I got a PhD, and I became a professor. I have to admit that I enjoyed teaching more than being a researcher. And in a big-dollar research school, like the University of Colorado at Boulder, where I worked, Focusing on teaching is strongly discouraged among professors. But looking back again at that job so long ago in San Francisco, there was something about it that I didn't fully realize until I reflected on it quite recently as I was producing an online service for my church. It struck me that this job was actually a great gift from God one of the guys I worked with, we'll call him Tommy, had a medical condition. It was something he was born with, I think, and it caused him to have legs that developed in a misshapen way. I don't remember the details. He was my age, and one day at the end of work, he told a bunch of us programmers that he was going to have surgery done and that he would be out of work for a week. They were going to break both his legs and somehow straighten them out. He said that when he came back, he would have full-length casts on his legs, and he would have to use a wheelchair. The sub-basement was, of course, not wheelchair accessible. We all promised to help him out. We ended up taking turns with two of us at a time 
carrying him up and down the stairs with the two giant casts sticking out in front of him. Well, we were all young kids at the time, and we ended up having Tommy races, where we would see which team could carry him up and down the stairs the fastest. Now, jumping ahead in time, decades later, after I had been a professor for a long time, I went to the seminary. I really enjoyed being back in school. And this time, as an older man, instead of studying math, computing, and science, I studied liberal arts and theology. I was very happy when I was assigned to a welcoming, warm church as its pastor. It's a place where people truly do care for each other. Then the coronavirus hit. And suddenly we had to be apart from each other. We couldn't meet in person. I found myself having no way to offer services except by posting a service every Sunday morning online. The problem was that I thought I had left all that technical stuff behind me. I remembered how lonely it was doing computer work during all those years of first being a programmer and then a professor of computer science. Before my church was back together in person, here was my workflow, which was spread out over the week. First, I wrote some prayers because I never used canned prayers in my services, and I always create my own. And then I crafted a message. Then I recorded pieces of the service with a camera and a microphone. Then I edited the video, and I re-recorded pieces, and I did more editing, and then I cleaned the sound. I generated a final video, and I uploaded it to Vimeo. Then I updated my church's website, which I had built, to point to the new service. Then I uploaded a new version of the website. Even now, not everyone is comfortable yet going into public places. So to accommodate people who still aren't comfortable coming in person, I've continued posting the services online, but at least now I also get the joy out of meeting with folks in person and I record the service live. But still, for quite some time now, ever since the beginning of the pandemic, I've been kept at my computer for many hours every week. It can be depressing. I have, though, gradually come to realize something, and it has to do with the Tommy races. Let's look at a passage from Philippians. This was a letter written by Paul, the evangelist, to a church he had founded. Philippi was an affluent city in Macedonia, straddling modern-day Greece and the Balkans. The purpose of the letter was to give the Christians in the city advice on how to deal with growing persecution, how to manage dissent among members of the church, and how to help that church mature spiritually. In chapter 3, Paul warns us about people who put their faith solely in their worldly accomplishments. Our true citizenship isn't in the material world, it's in God's world. Paul teaches us about righteousness and the true path to salvation. And that is by never letting up, never thinking that we've reached the end of our spiritual journey. The quote I'd like to read is from chapter 3, and it says this, 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. This says that we're always to strive to be more and more Christ-like and to never let up. During the early part of the COVID crisis, I missed the interpersonal part of being a pastor. I was in a one-way church. I spoke into a void. Notice that Paul tells the Christians of Philippi that they've never finished the job of growing in their faith and that there's always more hard work to do. Let's consider another passage, one from chapter 43 of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah delivers a message of social justice, faith in God, rewards for those who follow God, and judgment for those who don't. The book of Isaiah was actually very popular with early Christians. One reason is that Matthew repeatedly references Isaiah, and so Gentile, that is non-Jewish, gospel readers learned about Isaiah through the story of Jesus. In the part of Isaiah that I want to look at, Isaiah the prophet is telling us about Israel's special relationship with God. The people of Israel have nothing to fear, as God will never abandon them. Now, as a bit of context, Isaiah is writing to the people of Israel during a bleak period in their history. They're in captivity. They've lost their land and their freedom. So they're questioning their faith. Isaiah says this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? He's inspiring his people to forget about their current problems, to not dwell on what has happened in the past, and instead to look to the future. The Israelites need a new vision. They must have courage and faith, and they must have the willingness to do new things as they strive to honor God. I'd like to now look at chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, the companion of Paul who also wrote the book of Acts. Here's something from that chapter. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The context of this passage is that people are giving Jesus excuses for not immediately serving God. One person tells Jesus that he would help, but he has to bury his father first. Jesus sarcastically says that the man should let the dead bury itself. Another person says that he would follow Jesus, but first he has to say goodbye to some people back home. Jesus says to that person that if you're busy looking backward while you're plowing, you're going to lay down some crooked lines. If you want to serve God, if you want to follow in Jesus' path, don't be looking in the past. Look to the future. Look to what needs to be done now. Plow in straight lines. You know, there's a proverb in chapter 15 of the book of Proverbs that has a similar message. Solomon is often credited with collecting these pithy sayings into the book of Proverbs. Here's the proverb I'd like to look at. 
It says this, A man of understanding walks straight ahead. This says that a person who's knowledgeable, who is wise, is someone who looks ahead and isn't blind to what needs to be done. I began to realize that I needed to accept the fact that I have to be flexible if I want to serve God. I can't be rigid and decide that I'm in control of the future. I have to let God create my future. I have to listen and respond, and often that means using my skills in new ways to serve God's people. Consider the following from the fourth chapter of First Peter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Although this letter is attributed to Peter the great apostle, it's believed to have been written by a follower of his. The letter was written to people in what is now part of Turkey. It was called Asia Minor. It was this passage that I remembered when I had my revelation. I had to come to terms with once again being a lone technical guy, monkeying with computers late into the night, all by myself. Our quote begins by saying that the end of all things is at hand, and we should indeed always remember that life on earth will end. I certainly don't believe that the pandemic is a sign of the end times, as some people do. But interestingly, it is a very dramatic event that does make us think of signs of the end. First Peter also tells us to show love to others, to not grumble. I am to use whatever gift I have received from God to serve my fellow faithful. When I realized this, I was suddenly filled with the warmth of knowing that the pandemic had caused me to use my past to serve God and to realize that God indeed does have a plan for me, that my past is a tool that was deliberately created in my life so that I could use it in the future. God made it very obvious to me, by the way, that this was true and made it very easy for me to accept this. As it turns out, each week, far, far more people view the videos that I post online of our services than can possibly be accounted for by the size of my congregation. God used the pandemic and my past life, which I had wanted to leave behind me, to serve God's people. Now, do you remember the Tommy races I was talking about? My partner and I did not win the competition because Tommy had had surgery and because he had to wear those huge casts for eight weeks. 
We as a team ended up bonding. We would carry him down to the sub-basement in the morning and out of the sub-basement after work. But in the middle of the day, we would stop two or three times and have our Tommy competition. Remember, our boss never went down there. Because of this, a group of lone programmers down in a sub-basement became a tight group of friends who after that enjoyed their lone jobs a lot more. We are all on a predetermined path. Each step, each stumbling block along the way has a purpose for the future. For me, God hardly asked anything from me. A little bit of technical work, a small hassle each Sunday making a video and putting it online. God could easily have asked far, far more of me during this pandemic. God will plant opportunities in our lives, opportunities to serve. Often we cannot look forward enough to fully understand the implications of what God wants us to do. Often we give something very little and something much bigger comes from it. Please remember this. God wants us to live in joy. And by the way, there's great joy in knowing that we've just made life better for someone. And if we introduce someone to God, and that life that we make better is an eternal life, the joy we feel is truly amazing. And for me, I was beginning the process of creating yet another online service, writing some code for my church's website. When I thought about that coding job in San Francisco from so many years ago, I got a very special joy out of remembering the fun time I had competing in the Tommy races. It made me realize that no matter how tedious our lives become, God gives us special skills that we can use to serve God's people. And God also plants things in our lives that can bring us joy, sometimes many, many years later. And in case you're wondering, no, I don't remember any of us ever dropping Tommy and letting him roll down the stairs.